Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Stray, developed by Blue 12 and published by Annapurna Interactive. It was released for PC and PlayStation consoles in July of 2022. And we will be talking spoilers, so heads up if you are sensitive to that. Uh, so I think the answer is probably obvious, but why did we decide to pick this particular, very obscure indie game up? <laughs> well, it seems like the internet's going a little bit crazy for that. Funny that, the internet going crazy for cats. Uh, but the <laughs> pitch for this game is that you're a cat in a cyberpunk st- city, wandering around doing cat things and maybe also saving the world. <laughs> or saving something, at least. I mean, it's... It's a cat game, right? And, you know, we've had cat games in the past. Uh, we've we've all played, um, uh, I guess, The Lion King back on Sega and, you know, uh, I don't know other cat games. <laughs> I mean, that's a throwback, man. But you made it sound like we played them all the time and then you had to go all the way back to like 92 or something to get one. <laughs> all right, maybe I haven't played a ton of cat games in my day, but um, I guess I could think of a few others if pressed. But, um, you know, A Night in the Woods, now that I'm thinking about it a little more, uh, sort of a all cat right. game. Uh, cat Lateral Damage came out a few years back. That was that one about being a cat and knocking shit over. Uh, which you do in this game too but yeah i don't know it it seems like um for how popular cats are on the internet this is an underexplored field of game (laughs) especially you think a lot of indie games these days it seems like there's a different um animal du jour that's like the new hotness for um what the main character will be like being a raccoon on a skateboard or doing uh, being a bird and doing bird things untitled goose game you know things like that i was thinking like, of untitled goose game when you said that and goat simulator go, yeah like um cat county surprisingly unexplored territory well cats are polarizing individuals <laughs> <laughs> That's tell right. us more clint <laughs> uh Cats will, will kill me if given the chance. I can't breathe around them, so I don't really love cats. So I wasn't sure I wanted to play this game because I, you know, <laughs> cat charm doesn't work on me. But you guys convinced me anyway, and I'm kind of glad you did. Yeah, I think there's there's more to this game than uh, meets the eye. There's more than just the cat. Um, but maybe before we we dive into the particulars, let's talk a little bit about its origins. Um, before this cat became a kitten, it was the sparkle in the eye of Blue Twelve Studio, a small French studio. Uh, founded by former uh, Ubisoft devs, as I believe, Colas Kula and Vivian Mermet Gunyet. They are known colloquially as Kula and Viv on the internet. But uh, yeah, formerly Ubisoft Montpellier people. Cool. I did not know there was an Ubisoft Montpellier. Well, now you do. And um, apparently they're cat lovers. Uh, and so was most of their dev team. I think I read a statistic that like 80% of the developers that worked on this game were cat owners, which, uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I feel like you'd have to be because they really, yeah, they nailed down like it felt very cat-like. Every little thing, even just down to the bare movements, felt very cat-like. They had a lot of animations in this game, a lot of actions you could do that didn't really advance the plot at all. Like, they didn't have to be in this game, but they were uh, because they liked cats and they liked cats doing cat things. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of opt-in cat activities in this game, right? Like, you don't necessarily have to scratch every surface or you make your own bed before you, you know, lay down next to your favorite robot. But that's there for um, for whoever wants it to be. And, of course, it's there because it's a cat. 
or knocking things off of every counter because you can. <laughs> yeah. I liked that they made a puzzle out of that early on. You had to knock a paint can and break a glass window or break, break a glass like ceiling window um, when you knock the paint can off the roof. And I'm like, I'm, a, I'm in for this. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that not, it, it sort of is an encapsulation of what, what makes the game great, but also like it gifts really well. Like I think if it's one thing that we want to mention up top is this game is extraordinarily viral in the time that we are playing it right now in the summer of 2022, right after it came out. You know, this game is getting the type of heat from a media pers- perspective that games rarely do. Yeah, and beyond that, uh, PlayStation just released its like answer to Xbox Game Pass, which has been a long time in the making. Whether that's a success or not is notwithstanding, but Stray is like one of their first big titles that they put out there as their big monthly release, too, so lots of people are getting this in their hands right now. Mm-hmm. And it's working, for sure. Yeah. We should mention, too, that we like run the full gamut of, of cat people. So Josh has multiple <laughs> cats. Brian has no cats but is not cat-averse. And I am deathly allergic and would die if I was in the room with one for more than uh, <laughs> 10 minutes. So like, we have the full gamut here. So we've got a big array of probably feelings about the game and cats in general. I like that description of me as owned multiple cats. That would go on my gravestone. Weird cat guy was not going to be where I started, but... Josh Galecki, owned multiple cats. <laughs> Let the record state that multiple here means two. Like, this is the bare minimum for what for multiple now. can mean. People don't tend to stop. It's true. They're like Pringles. Which um. Poppy just can't stop. But... Um, yeah, I think it's it's worth mentioning, for me at least, uh, that while cat people may have evangelized this game, it is a fully baked game regardless of cat content. So we'll be analyzing all aspects of Stray, uh, not just the cat ones. No, this game uh, definitely has good bones behind it, like uh, Annapurna uh, published it, and they're a publisher that I hold in a lot of respect. Uh, this game is a strong narrative experience, which completely unsurprised coming from those guys being the producers yeah annapurna you know has a strong record with this podcast i would say you know we've covered multiple games <laughs> published by annapurna and they they have a good nose for uh sniffing out polish uh very polished experiences and i think this is no different uh, i was not shocked at all to learn that this was an annapurna you know uh published joint and uh, to that end, I think this is their biggest hit to date. Like, I don't think they've reached these heights uh, before. Uh, they, they've had a lot of successful games, but nothing that has captured, like, the mainstream non-gamer media in the way that Stray has. Do you know what the numbers are? The numbers that I have seen, um, I don't know about the overall sales, but I know that they reached 50,000 concurrent players uh, at some point on Steam wow. alone, which is big like those are triple a game numbers <laughs> so yeah um, this game like displaced uh god of war for a little bit on the <laughs> on the steam charts which was um something something uh surprising to see you know when you have a literal multi-billion dollar corporation behind something and then you have an indie game publisher um you don't expect them to be playing in the same field but uh Cats can do that. But only on the internet. I feel like it's, it's, <laughs> it's ripe for that kind of thing. This is true.
Well, going back to what Brian said about the gifability of some of these cat things they did, I mean, there's one moment in the game, you know, spoilers here, but you are playing as a cat and you go up to this computer and there's this like robot AI who's trying to talk with you. They're like, help, help, I'm trapped in this computer. And you know, it's like this command line prompt. And then your cat just walks over the keyboard and it's just <laughs> complete nonsense over there. And the robot's like, what, what's going on? Please, please, I need you to get me out of here. And the cat just walks over the keyboard again. Like that's grade A humor right there. That's gonna go, like that's almost guaranteed vir- viral in the, today's environment. Absolutely true. I mean, we, we've all basically grown up on cat videos, and even people who didn't grow up on cat videos are familiar with cat antics. Um, but speaking of cat antics, perhaps we should give a quick summary of what this game's about before we dive into discussing the uh, mechanics and, you know, story and themes that are in play. So, as Josh alluded to up top, um, in Stray, you play as a cat who falls into a walled city populated uh, solely by robots and... Um, I guess mutated bacteria, <laughs> um, and he, he he is tasked to rejoin with his cat family. Basically, tasked to return to the surface with the help of a drone companion called B12. Wonder where they got that name, by the way. You know, game by this studio, Blue Twelve. Ah, <laughs> oh, look at that. Uh, but yeah, so you know, throughout the course of this game, um, you leap across platforms, climb obstacles, interact with the environment, uh, open up paths. Uh, it's basically Homeward Bound, but you play as a cat in a cyberpunk post-apocalypse instead of adorable pets <laughs> traveling across the Bay Area. If your um, if your three-word review is not some variation of cyberpunk Homeward Bound, I will be disappointed. <laughs> uh, I think you just gave it away. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> no, I, I don't. It's actually different than that. But um, it would have been a good one. Um, so yeah, I mean, what did what'd you think about? this premise like you could have made a cat game anywhere but you chose the cyberpunk dystopia i actually really like this because they took something that was cute and cuddly and mixed it with something that's uh oppressive and horrifying really when you think about what's gone on in this setting all the humans have died and nothing is left but these empty shell of robots that are pretending to be humans because they don't know what else to do now that their masters are dead and gone i don't know if it's that bleak i mean there's some of them out there who are definitely looking for things to do, but there's others who are making a life for themselves, too. I don't know. It, it does seem very, like, stasis, like, weird situation. Like, these these robots are eking out a survival, you know, with, with as we mentioned, the metal and flesh-eating bacteria mutants, the Zerk, uh, sort of hiding around every corner. Like, it doesn't seem like they're thriving exactly, Josh. <laughs> no, no. And beyond that, I found the whole thing where they're acting like humans... If, if you get dive into the memories a little bit at all, it like even gets more depressing because it's like they don't have feelings. They just do stuff they saw humans doing because they don't know what else to do at this point. There's nothing else going on in the world. There is a point where they develop their own language. Like it just kind of gets created where before they didn't really have that or have personality and this is kind of alluded to when you see the robots at the end in the control room who are still 100% robotic like they haven't um personalized themselves at all that's a good point like if we're th- if i'm thinking about the world like the first thing i did notice is all the goofy outfits that all the robots are wearing you know they've all hmm. got like their variation of like a shawl or a scarf or a hat um you know uh, a lot of them given we're in a cyberpunk area are wearing sort of asian themed garb like we have rice paddy hats and stuff like that which you know cyberpunk tropes and the sort of 
weirdness of that aside, like it's coming from a place we didn't mention during development, but this was actually started as a project called Project HK, aka Project Hong Kong, aka Kowloon, hmm. the walled city, is very much an influence on this game. I can kind of see that. The uh, uh, Kowloon walled city, for those who don't know, is this kind of like apartment block that was kind of an extra legal territory, like it was part of was it hong kong or something so yeah i I did a little bit of research into this just like you know to take me not at all as a scholar or a uh, person familiar with this in a big way but kowloon walled city was basically a military base way way back in the day and then as you said josh when the british took over um both basically British and Chinese governments sort of gave it up because it was impossible to govern. It uh, became ungovernable. (laughs) And uh, so it was kind of its own, like you said, extra legal territory for a bit. And then eventually in the 80s, 1980s, that is, it was demolished. And now uh, it's a park. So (laughs) part of the thriving metropolis of Hong Kong, I suppose. (laughs) It was an interesting thing for what it was at the time because it was these huge blocks of apartment buildings with... um, I mean, I guess you could call them squatters, for maybe lack of a better term, or settlers or something. Just people kind of eking out a life and forming communities inside this place without any government interference. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, and it, it's... Um... Uh, it's inspired a lot of different cyberpunk properties. Like you could see Kowloon Walled City's analogs in uh, things like Cyberpunk 2077, Deus Ex, um, all kinds of, you know, cyberpunk influences have borrowed heavily from the aesthetics of uh, Kowloon Walled City, um, as they have from a lot of different like sort of Asian influences. Cyberpunk and its Asian influences is a topic for an entirely different podcast, which we don't have time to get into here, (laughs) but um, we can just leave it there. Um, it does make a fantastic environment for moving around, though. Um, this was, I think, one of the strongest points about this. the game was, like, moving as a cat. Like we talked about the idle animations your cat would do. Those were great. They made you feel very cat-like there. But just kind of, like, the way you would move about this city. Like, you are a small, nimble cat. The jumps you make in platformers where you jump, like, five times your own height makes sense because that's what cats do. You fit in tiny little cat holes, and you kind of, like, explore a level through a cat's perspective. I like, too, how instead of, like, when you hit the X button, in most platformers, you just do a jump, and it might look silly. It might look right, but, you you, you know, you're up to wherever you hit it. In this one, you hold X, and it performs a very specific animation, and it always looks just right. There's no, like, weird clipping in and off of things, like... It feels very well put together and cinematic. This, this sort of holds true in a lot of the, the cat's actions. Like the parkour aspect of the platforming makes a huge difference. Am I pressing 45 degrees away from the direction of this pipe? Yes. Will I still walk across it flawlessly? Yes, because that's what a cat would do. This is very reminiscent of Assassin's Creed Free Run, if you remember this. And now that I realize that some of these people were from uh, Ubisoft, it makes me wonder if they had some of that influence there. Again, you can't, there's a big difference between uh, when you say platforming, you almost think like platforming is the skill. This is more of an adventure game for me. Yeah, there was platforming aspects, but that was never the the challenge or the skill, right? You just... You never measured a jump or anything like yeah. that. You yeah. just look cool doing it. Yeah. That's exactly right. Like you're not, um, you're, this isn't a Mario style jump. This is a, um, 
this is a Zelda Ocarina of Time style jump, right? You move up to the edge and you press the button and it happens automatically. Except it's a cat and not an extremely awkward uh, tween in an N64 game. Wearing tights. That worked really well, I think, because of the verticality too. Like, it's really hard to plan a jump that's like, like you said, like five feet up on this little pipe. Because that's how cats are. Like, they're not doing these big platform jumps. They're jumping onto this little skinny thing here and then onto that little precarious thing over there. That would have been really hard to do, I think. Agreed. Yeah, they definitely made a good decision by keeping the platforming easy to do and keeping it looking good. Agreed. And I think the the difference here between other cat games that I mentioned up top is that this is a natural, like, real looking cat. You know, it's not a anthropomorphized, um, you know, homunculus of a cat as in (laughs) Night in the Woods. It's not uh, the cartoon Lion King cat. It is a real ass looking cat. And he moves in real ass cat looking ways. If there was a real cat with a robot on his back, this would be it. (laughs) Yeah. I think another interesting thing with the platforming, too, compared to Assassin's Creed, especially. Like, with Assassin's Creed, I feel like there was more kind of like moment-to-moment planning. Like, okay, I jumped up on this window here. How do I keep on going? Whereas they kept it extremely smooth over here. Like, um, I think both in the platforming and the game, I never got lost or had to figure out where to go. Um, And for as much verticality as they had in this game's movement and platforming and all the different camera angles you'd have to change around, I think they did a very good job signposting to the player where the next step is. Oh, yeah. The signposting was fantastic. Like, they definitely took a page out of the Valve handbook. You know, there's always lights marking the way. There's arrows pointing in the direction you need to go. This was especially apparent to me in the early chapters where you were trying to find the initial apartment where your robot companion's AI uh, mind was hiding. They would do just excellent uh, guideposting for the player. For sure. And speaking of taking a page out of Valve's book, the Zerk were straight up headcrabs from yes. Half-Life. I mean, and like, <laughs> even the noises were like, okay, so we're playing Half-Life? What's going on here? <laughs> They're definitely headcrabs. Half-Life with cats. <laughs> Cat life? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> but no, I, I totally agree. Nine lives. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's good. Um, but they are basically headcrabs from Half-Life. Um <laughs> and they they move in exactly the same way. Like the animations are great, but they're very clearly on loan from the Valve the Valve catalog. They reminded me a little bit of uh, the rats from Plague Tale, actually. Mm, yeah, the, the way the, they the swarm. way they move in packs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really good swarming. It was a, a marriage of head crabs and rats. Um, a match made in hell, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's flesh eating bacteria, so whatever. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you drop into the city and you're being led along the way. Like, um, you're seeing these signs light up with arrows telling you literally where to go. You keep following those, you get past a couple of these Zerk headcrab things, and you eventually meet up with your drone friend, B-12. That's right. He's your little robot buddy. Um, He is also, (laughs) hilariously, your inventory and your hint system. Uh, He will digitize (laughs) items so that you suddenly have a cat who can have an inventory system in a brilliant stroke of 
uh, retconning uh, <laughs> bullshit into uh, a cat. Yeah, how do we get cats to talk to robots? He's also how you talk to everything. So he's how you talk to robots because they didn't want to explain that. Yeah, how you alter inventory and how you use keys because you can't do that as a cat either. I love it. First thing I thought when I saw this was like, can this cat read? Am I a very smart and useful cat? Uh, perhaps history's only smart and useful cat. Um, and, uh, no, but yeah, also you're the only cat in history with quests. Uh, last time I checked, cats don't really have quests. Uh, they're more kill like about... bug, sleep, <laughs> bug human. Break shit. Yeah. That's right. Eat, sleep, uh, quest. Kill no. Clint. No, no quest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, B12 is, uh, I think, a linchpin for this game. You know, he, as I said, he, he performs a lot of mechanical functions, but also is like the main narrative device. Um, he has memories, which you slowly uncover throughout the game. Um, I forgot to put this in my notes, but it's actually hugely important to like how the game reveals what happened in um, the walled city that you're in and uh, about what happened uh, in the history of this world. Did you guys find most of those? Because those are optional and you can miss them. I was just curious if you guys ran into those or most of them while you were going through. I think I got three quarters of the blue ones and all the yellow ones. The yellow ones being the story beats. Yeah, so they have, as, as you said, Josh, the yellow or the the main ones that are the the ones tied to stories. Were they the yellow ones? Yeah. And then you have a bunch of blue ones, and I think I only got like fifty percent of the blue ones. Uh, but yeah, they they all do reveal interesting things about the world, and it's kind of fun to find them. Like this game has a lot of interesting hubs that are fun to explore. I guess when I think about the the overall structure of this game, it's oriented around three major hubs. You know, you have your slums, your uh, ant or antlion city. Was that what it's called? Um, ant, ant village. Ant village. Thank you. The, you have the slums, the ant village, and then Midtown as your final major hub. And in between those, you are interspersed with areas that are sort of um, navigation challenges or pursuit slash chase challenges um and i think this worked pretty well for me from a pacing perspective right like there was the sort of slow meandering exploration phase and then like a challenge to make sure you're learning the platforming and utilizing it and being a cat and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they had really good pacing mixing up the variety of challenges they throw at you and then after Midtown, they even introduced the Sentinels as a kind of enemy that would be more of a stealth-based kind of thing to get around them. Yeah, I feel like the beginning, the, the slums area was teaching you all about, that was the chase area, right? And then for yeah, a mi- the Zerk. Yeah, you, you did a lot of chase sequences back when you were in the slums, and then you get to Midtown, and then it's more about stealth with the Sentinels and all that. There was never a part at the end where I feel like they put it all together. I feel like they almost like abandoned the Zerk after you left uh, the slums, which was fine, I guess, but... They totally abandoned it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I I think I I really enjoyed, like, the exploration areas the most of this game. Like, the slums and Midtown, and to a lesser extent, Ant Village, were my, my favorite places to be, just because, like, 
I really liked the aesthetics on all of the various interiors that they had. Like the cities themselves were great, but as you like entered an apartment, you could see like the weird like lighting that they had and like how they repurposed random detritus into furniture and stuff like that. Like the robots that is, it, it really worked for me. Like it made me, as I said in, in our chat, like it made me want to play Deus Ex again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was cool it, to hang out in an area too. So I feel like some of those other areas you were like running through quickly and you would see it and you were gone. But in these, uh, hub areas you could really hang out for a while do a lot of puzzling and you'd spend like what an hour at least an hour in some of these places really getting to see all the nooks and crannies which is kind of what an exploring cat would do right <laughs> no there were different mini quests you would have to do in each of the uh, hub areas where you'd have to go and explore things like recover books or journals from these explorer people or you'd have to um, you'd have to like uh, break into the uh, club, the nightclub in Midtown or something like that. So there were a lot of kind of like, okay, to get to the next point of the storyline, you have to explore this area pretty well. Yeah, it teaches you sort of like the navigational and puzzling things that you need to do the next chase or corridor sequence, right? Distract a robot to grab an item, move a battery to the correct spot. Um, and then on top of that, you get all of this great sort of flavor of like, what are the characters in the slums thinking? Oh, in this in the slums, we have a group called the Outsiders who really want to go to the outside and they want to learn like what, you know, how to how to get out of the walled city. And that sort of is like the main impetus for your quest, right? I think the to me, the main driving force was meeting all the various outsiders, chasing after them, finding the last one and then finally finding a way to the outside. Yeah. Yeah, and I liked how there were a couple like side motions too. Like again, the finding the sheet music. There were a couple things that were totally, um, you know, optional here. But if you engaged in those things, you really felt that you'd seen the whole area by the time it was time to go. I never felt like I retreaded it too much, but I saw it just enough, and I'm like, okay, cool. I got to explore everything, and now I'm out. They had a good bit of verticality. I especially think in the initial area, the slums, uh, where you not only see it from the street level but you also kind of like take paths going across the rooftops to find some secret hole uh an open window into an apartment you couldn't get into otherwise yeah as a cat you have all of these different uh ways of navigating available to you that wouldn't necessarily be there as a human right like jumping on air conditioning units or climbing on pipes that are running along the sides of buildings rather than you know where we would be looking for a ladder as a human or a stairway or something cats not so much they just find the nearest flat surface and leap six feet into the air onto it <laughs> oh do you know what was great about being a cat though like you guys have all played uh you know an rpg or like something where you walk around and there's a house and oh the door's locked you can't go in the store why i don't know the store's special even though you're a thief with lock picks you can't <laughs> go in it whereas like if you came across a locked door as a cat you're like oh well shit i'm a cat i can't open this door that's not <laughs> made for Feels me and natural. i think that's yeah, I think that's one of the thing about like being a cat here is you are a cat in a world built for humans. So they were very easily able to set up like you can go here and you can't go here. And it felt very natural that that's where you could go. Yeah, like likewise, they, they can use it to gate areas, but they could also use it to make other areas way more accessible, right? Like um, squeezing through a small pipe or past a grate. Like the funny thing about like grates and cells and things like that in this game is... 
that would be a, a non-passable thing for a human. In almost every game, you're put in a jail cell, done. you got to find a key or something to get out of there, wait for someone to rescue you. Cat, nope, goes right through the bars. <laughs> well, that's what was cool. You got to see both sides of that. And you're getting the other guy out, and he has to stop every time, and you can get through and do those things for him, which is, I don't know, it's fun. Yeah, it definitely works. They they play to the strengths of the, the cat medium, I guess, if you will. Um, and I think that, that worked really well for, like, allowing you into places where you know the robots even like in in the society that you're working in especially in midtown couldn't be right like you would enter an apartment that was totally locked up and there was a reason for that it's because they were uh it was full of people who were were resisting the sentinels right it was like down with sentinels on the wall scrawled over all the uh the area and stuff like that uh so you know sentinels aren't supposed to get in there but you're a cat so you could get in there and see everything So you talked about how the impetus for the game was to like get outside the walled city. Um, I think an interesting thing they did from a storytelling perspective is they did not start you off inside the walled city like you were some cat that just has been there forever. They started you outside with this little cat family. Um, and it does a good job being a tutorial kind of level where you and your cat friends are navigating these pipes. You know, it's easy to guess that, oh, I should be able to jump this as a cat when your cat buddies are doing the same thing. Uh, so it kind of teaches you some of the navigational skills you'll need soon later on. Uh, but then they have the part where you jump off a pipe and the pipe starts falling down and your poor little kitty is like trying to hold on trying to climb back up but eventually falls down into the city and it's really good for establishing a very quick like emotional connection and like oh shit we got to get this guy back out to his friends out friends or family or whatever you know this uh, pack of wild cats outside the city what they didn't tell you is that they're a ferocious gang that have been terrorizing people for <laughs> for years and he finally got what was coming to him, but we didn't know. We didn't get to see that part. So there's a reason that it's a wasteland outside. Yeah, it's the cats. <laughs> the cats. All the cats. Are. Actually, the cats killed all the humans. That's what happened. And then uh, this is what we're left with: the apocalypse. <laughs> the reason the the wall was there to keep the cats out. But that's uh, it. <laughs> that's for the sequel. Let's not ruin the story. But no, no, you're you're absolutely right, uh, Josh. Uh, Clint, I don't know if you're right. I don't, I don't think you're right. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you you sent me a thing immediately about like uh, great screenwriting ploys throughout history and like save the cat being like the top one, right? Like everybody mm. finds saving a, a helpless animal endearing, and basically that's what you're charged with in this game. You're in charge of a helpless animal's well-being. Um, how is that not? easy to relate to um it's, and in a yeah. way the robots fell into the same thing too these guys are all like lost little puppies that used to be again th they were here for the humans and the humans are all gone and they don't know how to be and they're just trying to get out yeah or trying to, to be yeah they're just trying to survive trying to, some of them are like you know we got all these trees down here we don't need them but uh you know the humans <laughs> liked them so we better keep them around yeah what if they find a human I mean, I doubt that's possible, but hey, you never know. It's a big, wide world out there beyond the walls of City 99. What'd you guys think about the story? There was a lot of sacrifice to get your cat outside of that city. Like, 
Um, three out of four of the outsiders, no, no, two out of four of the outsiders sacrifice themselves to the Zerkorn Sentinels to let you escape. And then your B-12, who turns out to be the consciousness of the last human in the city, uploaded to a computer, he sacrifices himself too. I wouldn't personally trade all of human consciousness for the life of one cat, but... <laughs> I guess B12 <laughs> fell differently. He must be a cat person. Gotta be. He's he's one of those Josh people. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, Clint. Like, it did seem like an awfully high price to, to get this one cat out. But I guess in the process, you did release um, the at least nominally sentient companion robot race out into the broader world which uh, at this point seems like the only hope of continuing any bastion of semi-human legacy left on planet earth so i suppose it's a you know give and take we also possibly released the zerk out into the wider world too causing apocalypse part two but again <laughs> now you said know, they after you um after B-12 sacrifices himself, so you open the gigantic roof to the city, letting all the sunlight in. And it's established in the game previously that the Zerk get destroyed by intense light like the sunshine. So it shows a bunch of them getting destroyed. Maybe not wiped out completely, but probably not spreading and eating everything. The one thing I didn't like, though, was the sunlight hit the sentinel robots, these little floating drone guys that are, I guess fascist robots of some sort um and the sentinels deactivated on sunlight and i felt like that was a little too cute like <laughs> why that didn't yeah. read because the other robots are fine why why are only dickhead robots allergic to sunlight i think the reason behind that as i read it was the fact that the city was on lockdown hence the sentinels were activated so it wasn't the sunlight that deactivated the sentinels it was the release of the lockdown but um, that maybe... could have been communicated better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. But you're absolutely right. Like, basically, the Sentinels were this game stand-in for the Hong Kong police state, as I read it. <laughs> um, which, you know, um, maybe not too on the nose, but it was definitely there. How did you feel about the ending? I I do feel like we got our cat out. He's, he's back. He didn't find his family explicitly. Um, in at the ending of this game, but it, it's highly implied that he's out in the world and he'll probably find his little cat family. He's got a strong sense of smell. This is pretty sci-fi, though. I feel like sci-fi never has a real explicit satisfying conclusion. It's like a, a giant question mark or a maybe at the end, and this kind of fell in line with that. Yeah, I'm happy with the ending. The ending scene is your cat walking out into the daylight. Um, and not exploding. <laughs> and not exploding <laughs> also a plus but like there wasn't his cat family magically waiting behind a bush over there and they ended the story there I was fine with that yeah all in all like I mean given the success of this game I'd be shocked if we didn't see some sort of like sidequel or sequel or something that explored the stray universe a bit more I mean they created a, a alphabet for this game like Clearly, they, they are invested in the setting, uh, with good reason. It's a cool setting, but um, maybe we'll find out what exactly happened to our favorite cat friend in the future.
I think it'd be funny to find out that everybody was fine on the surface and <laughs> everybody just forgot that there's this city full of robots and cats down there. They're like, oh, yeah, shit, we forgot to turn that off. Like, <laughs> I heard they got weird bacteria in there. Uh, fuck it, just leave it. Yeah, leave it closed. Yeah. I mean, if you guys remember that sewer level, there was some straight Resident Evil shit going on down there. I would leave it in there, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the eyes. All the eyes. Yeah. I, that was the weirdest part of the game for me. Like, I don't know if I quite understood why the the eyes and the sewers were included, but it definitely added to sort of the otherworldliness of the setting, which I guess is all in all additive. You know, speaking of the sewers, they had a small segment of the game after you rescued Doc, one of the outsiders, and you get get his uh, high-powered flashlight attachment to the drone, which the can kill some of the Zerk. The Fluxer. I mean, from a narrative standpoint, I've set it up like, okay, sunlight's going to kill the Zerk if it gets in contact with them, sure. Uh, that kind of makes sense, but from like a gameplay perspective, I don't know if it really added anything to the chase sequences to be able to do that. I don't know, what do you guys think? I think they were done with chase sequences at that point. We'd already done that. This was the like the last time you really messed with the Zerk, and they're like, oh, you can kill them now, and now we're going to move on to something else. If they had kept going with Zerk, it would have been annoying, but the fact that they then kind of gave that up and said, okay, we're doing Sentinels now, I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's, that's true. I agree with you, Clint. I think this was a, a page out of the... Uh... Uh, Mario platformer book of iterating on mechanics until they're no longer useful, then discarding them. Um, yeah. And, you know, they didn't stick, nothing stuck around too long in this game. It's one of my favorite things about it. They kept iterating on things until they were done with them and then moved on. Including the game itself, which we mentioned off, off, off camera mic, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, off mic. But yeah, this game only lasts four to five hours. So it just kind of does its thing. It shows it off. And then it's like, okay, that was it. And good game, guys. Story complete. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good Which I can appreciate. Game. Yeah, some games just have a cool mechanic or two and then they just drag it out too long and it's just, by the end, you're tired of it. I wasn't tired of this. I've said it many times. I love me a short game. Um, but yeah, I think this definitely fits into it. The The ending was uh, satisfying, open-ended, and didn't come too late. <laughs> so with that, uh, let's sum up our thoughts with a three-word review. All right, my three-word review for this game is Cyber City Kitty. Stray is a game that leans heavily into its theming. Given the internet's feline proclivities, a cat in a cyberpunk city is a pitch that more or less sells itself. That said, the game delivers. It offers interesting platforming action without demanding skilled and precise input. It offers an interesting backstory that uses, uses genre tropes effectively. It makes you feel like you're playing as a cat, whether you're squeezing through a small hole in a fence or using the couch as a scratching post. I loved the concept and the visuals in the game, but I think the game's true triumph was with its pacing. Its mechanics are not especially demanding or challenging, which fits the game's goal as being a narrative experience. At no point in the game was I confused about what I should be doing next, and the game rewarded my cat-like curiosity with rich visuals and lore. It kept the pace tight and never overstayed its welcome in any particular section. As such, it was the perfect length. Two thumbs up. 
<laughs> Curiosity did not kill the cat in this situation. My three-word review is Future Feline Featurette. Stray was a very competent feline tone piece, but I wouldn't go out on a limb to call it much more than that. So I'm just going to hang in there and talk about what it does well. 1. Cats are charming creatures. And while that may have caused this game to go viral, it's clear right away that the rest of the game is competently designed as well. 2. It goes down very smoothly and is only about 5 hours long. I found it to be the perfect combination of easy, charming, and short. As a highly cat-allergic person, Stray, unlike most cats in my life, did not overstay its welcome. And three, while playing a cat with human-level intelligence doesn't really hold up to scrutiny, it also doesn't really matter. Those with an eye for analysis are probably immersed in the future cyberpunk dystopia, drawing on the legacy of Hong Kong's resistance culture and the Kowloon Walled City to think about it too hard. All in all, Stray is a future feline featurette that has made a cat appreciator out of this particular player. Two paws up for me. What did Bandit have to say about it? I'm pretty sure I heard him chime in there for a second too <laughs> bandit has only met a few cats in his life and i think he summarized his thoughts appropriately not into it <laughs> Kill <them> all. <laughs> <laughs> all right my three word review is pass the inhaler so despite the fact that my body has decided that cats are my mortal enemy and refuses to let me so much as breathe oxygen in their presence i actually had a pretty good time playing through stray like we discussed uh, when we were deciding to do this episode, a lot of the cat charm was totally lost on me because not only have I never had a cat, but I intensely and actively avoid them. So when the internet went ablaze for an unlikely game about a kitty wandering around a cyberpunk city, I was worried that most of the allure was probably just gonna be your typical, the internet is obsessed with cat videos motif. <laughs> and luckily that wasn't the case at all. Uh, does this game lean heavily on kitty charm? For sure but there's also a really solid adventure game and a cool little story holding everything together. And while it's not exceptionally long or deep, Stray uh, hits a lot of solid beats without overstaying its welcome, and it even finds a few opportunities to tug at your heartstrings, which I thought was a big accomplishment given that the only characters are robots and animals. So, hmm. most importantly, I think I was finally able to answer the question I had when you guys asked me to play this game, and that is, is Stray a good game even if you don't like cats? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. This game is for anyone, regardless of feline affinity, and I may not be able to be around cats in real life, but I'm not allergic to a little fun. Hmm. Very nice. Nice. And with that, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. Meow. Meow. <laughs> <laughs>sounds that uh, she learned that we never talked to her so she must have learned it at school was the sound a cat makes so one day she just came home and um, she pointed at a cat in a book and she said meow what sounds a cat make meow one of my <laughs> favorite Eleanor sounds right now is the, the cat sound <laughs>
It's better than no. <laughs> so there's the uh, backstory in this game. There's the Neko Corporation that is kind of responsible for the um, bacteria, the Zerk. It was originally created as kind of like a trash recycling thing, and then they grew into these head crab type creatures that are eating the city from the bottom up. Um, but there's a little bit of uh, language puns they're doing with the Neko Corporation. Uh, the first one I could think of was um, Neko is Japanese for cat. Oh. So that's like the most obvious one, uh, N-E-K-O. And then the second one, this might be more like a little bit more of a stretch, but, you know, it's a French studio. Uh, in the fr- French language, if you're trying to negate a verb, you say like, um, if you're saying uh, to own something like a uh, uh, j'ai le chat. I have a ca- the cat. Uh, if you say you don't have the cat, it's je n'ai pas le chat. So you add ne in front of it. So you kind of have like an ecological corporation that is necological corporation. Oh, a not ecological corporation. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, I thought Neko wafers, which are gross. So that's what I thought. Naturally, of, and I'm like, this mm-hmm. is a gross corporation because <laughs> it's, it's associated garbage, with Neko garbage, wafers. Garbage. <laughs> uh, that's fair enough. You wouldn't be surprised to hear that this game had a strong modding scene to it, as uh, big as it's gotten. I mean, there's a lot of people on the internet who love cats, but there's also a lot of other people who love dogs on the internet, so you can play this game as a dog now. Hmm. Or, I think I saw that you can play a Spyro the Dragon as well. Yeah, I posted that in the chat. Hell yeah. Less less <laughs> emotionally, uh, uh, yeah, I can't imagine that being as, as emotional, but still. Dogs I could do. Spyro the Dragon loses something for me. You can't take it seriously? If sp- yeah, yeah. No, what, what? You, you have Spyro aversion? You can't relate to Spyro the Dragon? <laughs> Clint, are you allergic to dragons? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I, uh, I feel like you should be able to 3D scan any pet you have and put them in, in this game. And one day that will be true. I should just be able to point my phone at Bandit and all of a sudden he's in this game. <laughs> Don't you remember PSP tried this back in the, they were the first game to try this Tony Hawk on PSP oh, like, yeah. take a picture of your face and you can be in there and all two pixels of your face were somehow you. There's an entire <sighs> like series of YouTube videos about the horrificness of designing characters using technologies like this. It's called uh, Monster Factory. It's by uh, like the McElroy <laughs> brothers and uh, they make some truly horrific characters with some of these these things and uh, it's always hilarious. So. Uh, yeah, check that out, I guess. There is some interesting work going on, both with kind of like AI art, but also kind of like, um, I think it's called photogrammetry, where like a game dev can take their phone and point it at a couch, take a few pictures, and it creates a 3D asset based on those pictures there. (laughs) This would be like the evolution of the uh, Tony Hawk, put your face in the game. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, speaking of that AI art, Josh is a big fan of this, and I think it's straight <laughs> up ni- nightmare fuel. I hate the stuff. It can be both. I All right, so I'm, I'm probably, as usual, falling somewhere in the middle on this. Um, the ones that you have shown me recently, Josh, I am down with. Uh, I, I hear you, Clint, in the fact that up until recently, this all looked like asshole nightmare fuel. But 
I'm going to bring in a new wrinkle. I think that we are swiftly moving past the this is novel and we're creating interesting things about it and moving swiftly into the we're just going to get appropriated art without any, you know, any crediting or, or things like that out of these these generators. So um, it's both cool and problematic at the same time from my perspective. There is a big discussion ethically, like in the AI art generation thing about like, is it okay to like, um, if I say paint me, um, paint me the last supper by Da Vinci, but in Van Gogh style, you know, they're all dead. They don't care. But if I take <laughs> a living artist and try to emulate their style using an AI art machine, then is that okay? There's different people in different areas. I kind of feel like eh, that's kind of getting a little too far stepping on toes, especially when their art might have been included in the training data without their, you know, approval. So Yeah, and when has anyone there's... ever taken a technology too far? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.